Welcome to Stay Sane, where we talk about mind-riveting topics while pushing around our own perspectives. And today we have our guest, Miss Matos. <laughs> um, you're actually the first teacher I've had on here. Oh, that makes me feel privileged. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely been kind of hard virtually, especially because I know that some of my teachers have even told me that if they saw part of our class in the hallways when we go back in person, they wouldn't even recognize us. Yeah, I would say that's true. I, I actually made a copy of everyone's picture from last year's yearbook and put it in a binder for myself to try to put names with faces. But, you know, even in one school year, uh, young people change so much, middle schoolers change so much that it's difficult to recognize them sometimes. I mean, yeah, definitely. And especially because now, like even since we're virtual, um, we have the option to have our cameras off. So, I mean, now since we have more options, I mean, obviously some people will go one way and some people will go the other. But me specifically, I don't find too much of a problem keeping my camera on. Except when, like, say I have to take care of my dog that day and she's being a real big brat <laughs> or something, <laughs> something like that. But most of the time I have my cameras on because I feel like it just it makes both sides easier on both parties. I would have to agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, I really feel much more connected with my students when they have their cameras on. If I'm just looking at a sea of initials, I don't really feel connected. I want to be and I try to, but it doesn't feel the same as seeing faces. Yep. And um, yeah, so I know that you are an English teacher because um, <laughs> I have you, but did you major in English? Was that your like first choice? Well, I would say that, well, no, I did not major in, in English. Uh, I majored in psychology. Oh, w did you major in psychology like with the idea of pursuing something in that lane? Yes, I did. I was, I was, um, I graduated with my degree in psychology and then I applied to graduate school in counseling and uh, the, the admissions office at the uh, graduate school said, well, we want you to get some real life, real world experience before you come to graduate school. So I had these two jobs lined up. One was to work at a um, home for girls and the other, and then another job popped up to actually teach uh, at a small school. And so I couldn't decide which one I wanted to do. And the school, I said, whoever calls me first, that's the job I'm gonna take. And the school called me first. I became a teacher um, and loved it so much that I changed my master's degree and went for education instead. Oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. And yeah. would you, have you ever like considered, well, Personally, me being in Virginia, I don't really like Virginia. <laughs> I'm kind of only like, if I had a choice, I would be in a different city just because of like, say the weather, the resources here. So wh why do you choose to be in Virginia particularly? Well, I've lived in, I think it is nine different states now. Wow. So everywhere from you know, Colorado to New York to Florida and lots of places in between. Um, I do like the weather in Virginia. Florida was too hot for me. And 
Pennsylvania, where I lived in New York, they can get pretty cold. Um, Richmond is kind of, for me, a nice mix of, of weather. Um, I like some places that we've lived. Um, we didn't have very many people from other places in the world. What I really like about Richmond is its diversity um, of lots of different people and cultures and ideas. And uh, so that is part of why I particularly want my daughter to be here is to be exposed to people of different cultures. Yeah. So for me in that scenario, when I grow up, cause I want to be like in the business side, like mm -hmm. making like a difference in people's lives, like um, through like, cause I don't have a lot of role models being an Indian girl that's 12 years old in America. So I would want to act as that for um, a kid, a young girl my age. <laughs> so I feel like for me, the best option would go to someplace really busy with a lot of resources, like New York or Los Angeles or, and it also has something to do with like my preference because <laughs> I want to have someplace I could relax, but I could also go to just do a bunch of work and be amazing. <laughs> so I would either prefer New York or LA, but um, I know that you didn't come into here with the mindset of like being a teacher which is really cool to me because um, some kids went, that I know of when I was a kid, they want to be a teacher when they grow up, but they always derail from their path. And would you say that's because it's they just lose interest or they think it's not practical? Because you did want to do something in the psychology lane and then you kind of turned your back to it <laughs> somewhat. Well, there's lots of different reasons for that. I also was headed towards nursing. Originally, I was thinking about going into psychiatric nursing. Um, and then I went to get my blood work done for the nursing position and almost passed out in the hospital. I thought, hmm, maybe I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. And um, But what I have noticed is that a lot of people who headed into college as education majors once they went through college, you're like, oh, I'm so tired of education. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then they go somewhere else. So for me to have a psychology background, which really just gives you a great basis for understanding people and understanding yourself, um, and then just kind of happening upon a teaching career, it was, it was fresh and new to me and exciting. Um, I avoided every public speaking class I had to take in um, college. I think you know the story of me running out of my high school classroom in tears because I couldn't remember the Shakespeare soliloquy I had memorized for weeks. Um, so, you know, for me to even imagine being a teacher was impossible. But something kind of magical happened when I stood in front of a class for the first time and I just fell in love with it. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, when I grow up, I'm definitely gonna do something along the lines that I like have a basis for something but I can always branch out. So that's why when I grow up, I wanna be kind of like a successful person because then I can have connection with somebody else successful.
because I want to, again, I want to change people's lives, but it's, I want to pursue music. I want to pursue dance. I want to do a lot, a lot of things, but I want to have my basis down, which I think you got through your psychology major. Yes, I did. And, and what might you might find interesting is I've actually only taught a total of 13 years. So many of, uh, I have not been a teacher that long. I did a lot of other kinds of things along the way. I started out teaching and um, I was married and we moved and I had to kind of take different career paths uh, for different in different ways. Um, I was I actually worked at a college for a while and as an assistant dean of students, director of residence life, and I taught a couple college classes. And uh, you know, I've been a correspondence assistant, and I've I worked at a, for a book publishing company, and so I've done a lot of different things. And then I just realized, now teaching is it for me, um, and so that's what I came back to. So, and and I've done a lot of um, you know. I've done a lot of traveling around the United States. My husband's the world traveler. Um, and I've, you know, been near and in and working in big cities, Chicago and New York. I've been to Seattle and, you know, been down to, uh, of course, you know, Orlando and Pittsburgh and lots of places like that. And you're right, it's exciting. And I think um, take every opportunity you can to to and go as far as you can with connecting, you know, in big places with influential people and, you know, use your voice. When you were in the book publishing um, area, would, did you ever think about writing a book? There have been a few times when I've toyed with the idea when my uh, oldest son was little, I wanted to write a children's book because he would always say, what if, what if, and so I had imagined this children's book with a child that was always walking through life asking, what if, what if? And, um, and so I had thought of that. And then there have been times where I thought about writing about some personal experiences. Um, but when it comes right down to it, I don't have time in my life at this stage to, to um, develop something in that way. Yeah, because I mean, I've heard of like a lot of like talk shows, um, like the Tonight Show, a lot of things that teachers come on there and they like take an extra step to benefit their students. And that always takes a little bit more of their time. And they're like praised with that through the host of the show. So is that actually true? Does it take as much time as they say? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it has, I think, for me, it does because I, I really want to do my job to the best of my ability. And um, I'm also the English department chair here at our school. Um, so yeah, it, it does take a lot of time, many hours and um, a lot of overtime. It's not just your hours when you're in school, but weekends and evenings and um, yeah, a lot of hours. Yeah, I know a few of my teachers like um, take the time on the weekend to kind of just unplug because they're always with their students. There's they're always on the computer helping out. So yeah, I understand that. <laughs> and um, I, I do want to say that I thought of writing a book myself because as a kid, I had like a lot of imagination 
And I would just, I thought of the story about like a Alcatraz escapee. And it was, it's nothing like practical, like the what if story is that you said with your son, but it was like an Alcatraz escapee. And then later on, um, he meets with um, a framed prisoner and they try to get him out of jail, but then it comes back to the Alcatraz prisoner getting caught. So it's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool storyline there. You should you should work on that. I I actually wrote a whole page, but then I had a bunch of other work to do. So I was like, I cannot do this right now. <laughs> but I feel like a book is something that takes a long time. And it it's really if you do like a page a day, you can get it done. But it it's definitely if you want to write a good one at least, because I'm also I was also in like third grade, so <laughs> it was it was definitely a challenge. Well, I think you should just keep a, some kind of a, a journal or writing book. And when you have, when you're inspired and you have a moment, just, you know, write down things, reflections, thoughts, ideas. And, you know, over time, who knows what you can draw on from that to um, towards a, towards a book. True. Yeah, exactly. And um, when you were a teacher, when you just came back, um, when you first tried it out, when you first got your job as a teacher, did you knew like, did you know instantly that it was the one? Uh, I would say for the first couple years of teaching, I, well, I had a first, a couple times where it was my first couple of years of teaching. Both times I had a lot of doubts about it. I started out and, um, and I thought, I think I still want to get my master's degree in, in psychology. And, but then the more I taught, it's like all of a sudden one day it clicked. Nope. I really, really love education. Um, and then I left education for a long time. And when I came back, it was overwhelming. Um, just being an English teacher, figuring out how to deal with classroom management and uh, lesson plans and all of it to, so I just thought, but I talked to some people who were veteran teachers and they said it gets so much better by year three, hang in there. And so that's what I did. And, and sure enough, it got better. Yeah. And um, cause you said that at one point you still did think that you wanted to do psychology. Did yes. you, why, why did you like, why did you like listen to them? Cause if you had your mind set on something, did you, you had the option to, try it but what kind of made you was like I need to give this a shot like this might be the thing well something stuck in my head when I was in um when I was in college and I was taking psychology classes and I uh, had the opportunity to go to this um this school for children with um disabilities and um I I just jumped right in with both feet I mean I just was you know, running around, volunteering, doing this and that and the other thing. And I remember this, this man who worked there for many years came up beside me and asked me about my experience. I'm like, oh, I love this. I want to do this the rest of my life and everything. He said, I'm not so sure this is the career for you. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Don't you see how passionate I am about this and everything? He said, yeah, but you care a little too much. And I said, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And he said, when you're working with, with um, 
students that have um, disabilities like this, you can't get too close to the situation because then it, it, you're no longer any help to them. Um, and so that stuck in my head and I thought, you know, I can still help people in education and without getting into the deeper issues and deeper problems that maybe I'm not as cut out to deal with. Um, and because I feel things really deeply when people are hurting or they're going through a struggle and I can be a good friend and I can be good, you know, crisis management person, but long-term, I think it would have worn me down. So the teaching I see, I still see some problems and things, but I also see bright spots, you know, like you, um, that is just someone who's just full of potential. And maybe if I can give them a little extra encouragement or lift, um, then I can see, you know, something that I've left behind. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And um, now that you are a teacher, um, and you said before that you were pre pretty scared and nervous of like going in front of a t class and talking, like your Shakespeare um, soliloquy. <laughs> um, so would you be fond of like doing, being a motivational speaker now? Because it's almost, it's almost the same instead of speaking to a class or speaking to um, an audience. I've actually done some motivational speaking in front of um, in front of groups of people. In fact, of some pretty large groups of people, and um, it's okay. And I can do it. I I'm no longer really afraid of being in front of a group of people. I mean, there's always the butterflies that come with with it, which I think is normal. But it's just not my passion. Uh, motivational speakers, a lot of the work that they do is behind the scenes, preparing, researching, thinking through their ideas. It's not like, you know, just going from one speech to the next, not very many anyway. And that's just not what gives me energy. What gives me energy is, is um, you know, seeing a group of students grow over time and investing in them. And you know, it, it's funny because I could be doing other things and probably even things that would make a lot more money, uh, frankly, but I'm not sure that they would give me as much joy or satisfaction as what I personally find in teaching. I mean, I, I totally agree because I've thought about this many times because one of the things that I like to be is I like to be really planned out because that's why I'm 12 years old and I kind of know what I'm going to do. So I, re I really do like being planned out because I know I can see the end goal. I can see where I'm going to be in 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I would consider where I'm going down um, a lane where I kind of hope to be a motivational speaker in a sense. Like what I'm doing right now is I, I kind of started this podcast because I have a lot to say. And my parents are busy. My brother is busy. My dog doesn't want to he hear me ramble all the time. <laughs> so I need to talk and some people need to listen. So my, that makes a great pair. <laughs> and yes, personally, just like telling people what I, what I think is, I would say my strong suit. And I would want to take that to my benefit. So yeah, so 
I've, again, I've thought about that many times, but when I grow up, I want to do something that makes me happy. And even if I don't make a lot of money off of it, I still want to do it. Because at least for me, the purpose of life is happy, happiness. So if mm -hmm. I'm not happy at the end of, at the last day that I live, I didn't live a good life. So that's kind of my point of view on that. But yeah, I totally agree. And um, is the fact that you're teaching to kids um, versus, because I'm not sure if you have, but have you taught to college and high school students? Yes, both. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> is the thought of like um, middle school students in specific, it, does that make a difference in how you enjoy teaching? I think it really does because I've I've taught all three grade or you know everything from sixth up through college and I even in my graduate program um, was kind of an assistant to one of my professors and taught some graduate level uh, classes as well with him. Um, there's something about middle school students. I would never I would not be a good elementary school teacher. That's just Oh, kids hanging on you all day. Uh, I don't mean it that way. I love little kids, but I mean, and it's just not my thing. I actually get scared in front of a group of elementary kids because um, it, it just makes me nervous. It's like, oh, I don't know. But um, middle school is such a pivotal age where, where you've got kids coming out of elementary school and getting ready to launch into high school and beyond. And I feel like it's a time when students are still open to learning and growing um, and hearing. Uh, I just find it just a, a, a kind of a crossroads of life. And that's why I think it's particularly meaningful. And also a lot of people don't wanna teach middle school like I, so many times in my life when I've told them I teach middle school, they're like, oh my, bless you. How I can never do that. And I, and I find that comment kind of funny to me because to me, it's not a stressful thing. It's not a, oh, who would want to do that? It's a, I really enjoy this age. And I, I feel um, that it's a privilege to work with kids when they're at that crossroads and get them, you know, equip them to be able to move, you know, up into the higher grades when your grades really count. And um, so I like teaching middle school more than I've other grades that I've taught. Yeah. So when I was in elementary school, I saw my brother in middle school. And now that I'm in middle school, I see my brother in high school. So I kind of see like the different paths of life because I was in elementary school as well. So when I was in elementary school, honestly, I was a little bit clueless because I was coming out of a private school because I did five years in a private school and then I came in in third grade. So I had a lot of like um, friends that weren't really like understanding of my situation and maybe even teachers that weren't really understanding of my situation. So I was like, okay, I just gotta get, get through these three years and I'll move on to middle school. And then in middle school, I had a lot more sense of myself, what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna accomplish. But again, in sixth grade, I kind of got derailed. So I don't know if you noticed this, but like there's this thing called popularity <laughs> in, in middle school, especially, cause it really does make a difference. Cause um, I feel like popularity can change you in a way. And um, it, 
started to in sixth grade and then my brother he kind of totally ignored that path and just went his own way so he kind of knocked me out of it and that's why I'm doing pretty great in seventh grade and the virtual school is really <laughs> really helping me because I'm I'm definitely just like focusing on my own path and just getting to where I want to be but as a teacher have you ever like seen students change because going through of going through popularity oh yeah absolutely well and that that um is kind of a path that i was on when i was in middle school uh and even high school i was skinny and shy and had this bushy curly hair when it wasn't popular to have bushy curly hair and i was not popular i was not popular um when I went to college, things started to fall in line with for me, you know, I just, and all of a sudden, like all these popular kids were paying attention and inviting me to sit with them, you know, at meals and things and, you know, bringing me into the in group. And I remember sitting with them and kind of like, I made it finally, I'm part of the popular kids. And then I sat around with them and I realized you are really shallow, <laughs> like, you know, because um, they were all about their popularity. That was what they really wanted to talk about and think about and be and maintain. And um, so I left the popular group and went and started sitting uh, in the cafeteria with people who were sitting all by themselves. And um, over time, I made some of the best friends of my life with those people because they were maybe they were sitting by themselves because nobody would sit with them or maybe they were sitting by themselves because they just you know were were comfortable in their own skin but um so that gave me a perspective and then so as i've been teaching and i've seen kids get caught up in the whole popularity thing i've been there to help them kind of some of them when they've been rejected you know by the popular group and their whole life falls apart or if they're not popular at all and they're kind of on the outskirts and they never feel like they've ever really fit in anywhere. I feel like because of my experiences, I've been able to help some, some students through that. But absolutely, sudden popularity does change a person. Uh, and, and it's really kind of a gift that's handed to you and you have to decide what you're gonna do with it. If you're going to, you know, it's okay to be popular if you use that popularity to in influence others for good, but if it's just a platform for you to, you know, uh, gain your own personal glory, uh, then it's it's not going to shape you in the way that that you want to be. Yeah, and um, when I first came into middle school, again, I was like, I was pretty again clueless, so I obviously wasn't like as familiar with the whole school society type thing because I came from a private school so when I came in I just had the my whole personality my whole personality was right in front of me and it was I would talk to everybody I wouldn't really care and I would say stuff but obviously I'd be mindful what I say I didn't just blurt it out but I, I would talk to everybody and that it didn't come to bite me but it definitely like I don't talk to everybody. <laughs> That's kind of the lesson I learned. It was talk to people, but like, don't become friends with everybody. So be friends, but don't become best friends. Because 
I started to get close with a lot of people really quickly. And those people ended up to not be as true to me as I thought of them as. So that's something I've adopted because I don't, I don't have a huge circle now. I used to have like a, everybody's my best friend. That's, <laughs> that was my motto, but I have a pretty small circle now. And even that I don't, I'm still making it up. So right now, maybe I have two people in my very close circle as friends. And honestly, I don't think that's a bad, bad idea at all because those, like you said, those two friends might be the best thing that ever happened to me. Like my best friends ever. So I definitely have that in my head. But as a teacher, do you ever see your own life in somebody in some of your own students? Do you mean, do I see my influence on them? Oh, well, do you see like your mini self in them? Oh, my mini self. Um, yes, once in a while I'll meet someone and uh, or see someone and I just automatically feel a connection with them because I'm like, I know, I know what you're feeling, I know what you're thinking and, um, and it may be a mini me or it may be one of my children, because my three children are so very different. And so I'll spot someone that's like one of them and I'll automatically have this connection, um, you know, because of because I see certain personality uh, personality traits or self-consciousness or trying to cover self-consciousness with bravado and being, you know, or everything in between. So yes, I, I will see myself or I'll see someone else, but I really try to kind of set that aside and get to know each student for who they are and not come in with presuppositions about oh, I already know what you are. Um, I really try to be a student of my students um, and, and see what, what strengths that they have and maybe some encouragement that they need, uh, you know, for, for their success in the future. Yeah, and like, like you said, you have like almost a, a full-time job, um, grading papers, um, and it's a really off the chart job, if you will. And um, some students also have kind of like, especially in middle school when it's pretty tedious work, you kind of have to spread your work across the whole week, kind of like teachers do. So do you ever feel like you, um, your life is um, <laughs> similar to yours as a student? Um. Well, I was a student for a long time, of course, with the graduate school and all of that. And then when I decided to go into education and become certified, that was a whole nother schooling that I went through. So I've been a student a lot and actually still consider myself a student, um, a student of, you know, English, a student of my students. Um, so it's 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 similar but it's different um when you're just concentrating on learning that's a whole you know thing in its in itself but when you're having to see learning through someone else's eyes and and prepare for them and realize that 
the them that you're preparing for are each very unique individuals with strengths and weaknesses. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to figure out how to make your, to take something that's, that's a strength for you and make it work for someone that it's not a strength for. That's, yeah. that's a tough thing to do. Uh-huh. And um, you're also a parent. So um, does it kind of like frustrate you when your kids are up doing their homework? And does that kind of affect the workload that you give to your students? Yeah, I find that that um, teachers who don't have kids tend to give a lot more homework than teachers than ki- <laughs> teachers who do. Um, Although I, you know, I've been told that I give a significant load of, of work to my students, but I try to be mindful of the fact that my students have lives outside and they have lots of other subjects as well. On the other hand, because I've had students who've gone through high school and college and realized the kind of rigor that it takes to get through those programs for my highly motivated students, there needs to be a, a taste of that before you get to high school that, you know, because the expectation there is going to be much higher and teachers aren't talking to each other saying, hey, let's not overload these kids. They're just going to throw it all at you and you have to figure it out without a lot of support. So um, so I feel like my role is to, to, you know, be kind and nurturing, but also not to coddle my students so that they're not prepared for what it's going to be like when they get to high school. Yeah, uh, honestly, I find myself, because I don't deal, I used to not deal with pressure really well. So maybe I would have like a time test in school and I would be like on question six out of 10 and they would have like two minutes left and I would literally go into a panic attack. So, (laughs) so it, it was, it was definitely hard. So what I tried to do was every time I was completely done with my homework I would um kind of put something else on myself like maybe I would because I love writing so maybe I would go and find a prompt online and write an essay or maybe I would go outside and play a bunch of sports and uh, so I kind of like loaded myself up with activities because again I'm a person that like if I if I'm not active and I'm not moving and I'm not doing something I can get bored like this (laughs) <laughs> so that's why I am not doing well in quarantine, but I definitely like found new like areas that I want to pursue. Because like I said earlier, like music, dance, man, I want to do literally everything. I want to put my hand at everything. So that's why when I grow up, I want to um, go into a lane where I can be friends with somebody that has musical influence and maybe you could pair up to write a song. Because I'm not like, I don't have the characteristics to write a song by myself. Because I don't know how to do drums by myself. I don't know how to um, maybe do keyboard by myself. So I, I, in that case, I would be dependent. But like you said, yeah, I try to kind of do stuff outside of just school. Mm-hmm. And then there's this difference between like book smart and common sense, which I hear a lot of my friends say a lot, but I never really kind of understood it as well. So what I kind of got from it is like book smart means like you got good grades, you're really good at school. And then common sense means you just have street smarts. But does that imply that if you're 
that school doesn't necessarily teach you common sense? Well, I, I would say that the difference between book smart and common sense is book smart means you have a whole lot of knowledge. And if someone were to ask you questions, you could give answers about so many different areas. To me, common sense is knowing how to apply that knowledge to your life, to take what you have and be able to make practical use out of it. And, and crossing subject matters and things like that, you know, like crossing lanes between English and math and science and social studies and knowing how to take the critical thinking skills that you've learned may not be about specific topic within that subject. Um, and using that to and uh, applying it in a real world situation. So, so that's, that's how I feel that what the difference is between book smart and common sense is application. And um, so one of my other teachers brought this up as well, but do you think like tests actually accurately display a student's like smartness, if you will, like their common sense or their book smarts? I think, I think it, it depends on what kind of test you're talking about. Well, something- Standardized testing, you mean? Yeah, standardized testing, not just a regular test. <laughs> well, no, I know, but I mean, some, I think um, standardized testing only, I think, teaches academic intelligence or shows academic intelligence or maybe even good short memory skills. Um, I don't think that it really reveals the complete capability of a person. I think it gives you one little facet of something about them, but I don't think it gives you a holistic picture of the of the person. Then say like the SAT. Um, colleges look at that somewhat. They look at the score and they look at kind of what that hap what happened to you when you took the test. But then wouldn't that not be an accurate representation to take into account when you're um, looking at a student? Well, I used, uh, interestingly, I used to sit on a, a board of faculty at the college that I um, worked at, and I actually um, was part of the admissions committee. So we would sit down with uh, these scores, you know, that students had scored on these tests and things like that. And that was one part of what we looked at, mm -hmm. just one part. And if the score was kind of low, we would look at other things, recommendations or papers they had written or community efforts that they had made or, you know, other things that they had done and tried to take that with a grain of salt, okay? Maybe they were having a bad day the day that they took the test. Does this really represent the student? So I think it depends on the admissions board and the college as to how important it is to them. Did you ever take into account? Um, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> no, you're. you're <laughs> um, did you ever take into account the students' um, background, like maybe what type of family they came from, in terms of like admission or scholarships? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that affected how we looked at students. Okay. Um, you know, what what. Um, 
other kinds of life situations might have made what they would shed light on the scores that they had. Yeah. And would you, so I've heard a lot of different opinions on this, but would you say that's fair? That, um, so in some cases, the, the people that have not, the people that have harder backgrounds get got preference versus the people that had just moderate backgrounds not not great backgrounds but moderate backgrounds well that's a very complicated issue and i don't know that i could give you a complete answer on it i don't think that a, a person should be chosen whether it's for a college or whether it's for a job because of their affluence or of their poverty. I don't think that that you should be chosen for either of those reasons. However, I think you need to look at the whole person and see what they are capable of and whether your school could be the best place for them to go to to develop to be to be who they, you know, are setting out to be. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's probably the probably the best answer that I could give you. I don't think it's fair for people to be um, accepted or rejected just because of a test grade or because of their their background. I think that you know people who work hard should be rewarded for working hard, no matter what background you've come from. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't turn away somebody who worked hard for someone that I felt sorry for. I mean, yeah. And again, like I've heard a lot about this, like a lot of different opinions on this, but I've heard a lot of like, it is fair in a way. It's, it's, it depends on, again, the student's point of view and which side you look from. Because either side, there's going to be an unfair point. It's like, exactly. if you look from... Um, my or if you look at it from one student's point of view it's going to be unfair that the other student got preference or but there's always going to be a reason why so I mean in that case it would completely depend and um, in terms of like admission on that case I would completely agree with you I would say that say that student work could only apply because I know that colleges um, the applications you have like a fee for the application itself so maybe the student could only apply to one college because then that needs to be taken into consideration. And that probably is, but there's a, again, there's a lot of different aspects. And um, one of the other things are, do colleges really, it doesn't really affect um, when the student does outside work. So if the student has, um, say a really good athletic ability would that be taken into consideration as well depends on whether you have an athletic program <laughs> um, i think that i think that looking for most admissions boards they're looking for well-rounded students i mean unless it's a very it's a, it's a specialty program where they really need to see strengths in science and math, for instance. Um, but I think generally universities wanna see 
someone who has pushed themselves and has tried out different things, whether it be sports or music or dance or art or drama or community service, um, but they've pushed themselves to not just stay in their own little bubble and study hard and get you know excellent grades, but, but there's no sense that they're a well-rounded person. So yeah, I think it's, um, I think it needs to be more than just straight A's all the way through school. Yeah, and I feel like that also kind of carries on over to life because you can't just, I've said this a lot of times, but just life in general, it needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance because if you only go in one lane and that lane cuts off, then what are you going to do then? So say I go all the way to play for, say I go all the way to play basketball for college and then I don't get drafted, then what am I going to do for life? What am, what's my next step? And I need to have a back, back or <laughs> a, like a, another step. I backup plan? A backup plan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a backup plan. And maybe that could be my business. So I need to, that's why when I'm a kid, so my mom said this all the time, and I, for a while I thought that it was just because we're Indian and we <laughs> we really value education and we want to do really well. But my mom always said, do well at school. Make sure you're that's your priority. Do well at it. And then do music, do dance. And mind you, this was like Carnatic music, Carnatic dance. And I thought, no, I don't want to do this. This is not fun at all. And, my, and I did my own stuff too. My mom let me do um, basketball, softball, um, what else did I do, karate. I did a bunch of stuff. And as I got older, I kind of narrowed down what I was doing. And I understood the purpose of my carnotic music and my carnotic dance. And it was because when I grow up, I can have, there's not a lot of like dance teachers and music teachers in that genre. So when I grow up, if I don't make it to where I want to be and I have to end up working a nine to five job, I can have that as a side hustle. Maybe I teach my own passion as for little kids. So my mom always had like that plan of like life. And I never understood that because obviously I was like 10 and 11, but that was definitely a really big item. And would you say that like, the test taking part of college and well not necessarily college but just the test taking part of anything in general would that say that caused you a lot of like mental stress and would you say that caused students a lot of mental stress you mean when i when i've had to take uh tests myself yeah or yeah <clears throat> absolutely test taking is stressful for any everybody and especially if, if it's a, um, can't think of the term for it, but it's a high, um, uh, well, when you know that the outcome is really important. Mm -hmm. um, it has a it, high stake. Yes, thank you. <laughs> when it's high stakes, you know, I remember when I was in high school and I was getting ready to take the SAT and the night before the SAT, I was in a car wreck. And I still went and took the SAT the next day. But let me tell you what, my mind was not on that test at all. 
I was still shaking physically from, from being in this wreck with a couple of my friends. And uh, so was that representative of me and my ability as a student? No, no, it wasn't because my mind was not there. Um, so yes, I think high stakes testing is, is not representative because you can catch somebody, anybody, even the strongest student on a bad day and stick a test in front of them and they are not gonna perform well. But if you over time and some also, here's another thing. One of my children um, is, is highly intelligent, um, but he is, has verbal intelligence. So like to sit down and have to do a test where he's having to read it and figure it out, I mean, he'll do well on it. But if you were to sit with him and ask him all of those same, same questions, he could just, he can just, he thinks in his head and he can speak it and he's just right there with it. He's very uh, smart in that way. So some people, and I would imagine you are too, some people show their intelligence through their words. Other people show their intelligence through their hands. Um, so yes, I think one form of standardized testing and it, you know that, that's just given to everybody is not representative of what true intelligence is for most people. Actually, on that note, similar to the story of your SATs, um, it wasn't a test. Well, technically it was, but um, I had just won the um, my school spelling bee. And um, it was already a lot of pressure because, I mean, I wanted to win, obviously. And it was a long term, a long term goal. So that I've had from like third grade. <laughs> and um, I went to um, and I wanted to go to National Spelling Bee. So I've watched it every year and it was a big goal. So the day of, it got postponed. And then it got postponed again because of snow. And then the day of, my mom didn't tell me, but I got my parent, my brother and my dad got in a car wreck. And our car got totaled. And it was just a whole mind thing because I didn't know, but my mom knew, my dad knew, and it kind of, the energy, the, just the energy. And we said- Of course, yeah. Yeah, but the energy just passed on to me. And I didn't do well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a, I'm, my parents like to say it as well, but I feel like I'm a natural speller. Like I know, like, I don't know like a bunch of vocab and stuff, but if you like put me in the spotlight and I think of like the word, I have like, um, not photographic memory, but something along those lines where I can just envision it in my head. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me like brawl and then I'll be like B-R-A-W-L, but like I'll see it in my head, but it won't always be right. But like I, if I just put a little bit more work in I can get it, practice makes perfect. <laughs> but over time, I kind of just kind of let that go because it wasn't something I was passionate about. It was just like a goal. And that doesn't make a good couple. <laughs> you need to be passionate about something to make the goal. So that was definitely an interesting story. <laughs> and I tried, I tried again next year, but it, it just wasn't, I, it just wasn't my thing. So yeah. And um, normally on a test taking day, 
um, if it's, say, not, I haven't took, like, a very high-stakes test yet that I've actually, like, thought about, but in my old private school, um, we didn't have tests, quizzes, homework, nothing, so it was just one test every year that took a week, and um, it was just, like, bubble questions, like, A, B, C, and you just got to fill in the bubble, but it was tedious, and it would, like, so we'd have three grades in a classroom. Oh my God, this is so nostalgic. <laughs> but we'd have three <laughs> grades in a classroom and each grade would take the quiz while the, while the other two grades would be out in recess the entire day. So it was really fun, but it was really like, not stressful, but yeah. <laughs> so everybody passed normally, but there were always like a few kids that had to retake it. And oh my God. That was, I, I cannot imagine retaking that test, <laughs> but it was always like, it was always like a pass, pass, fail, or no, it was kind of like the SOLs, but it was like a either fail or a pass and then like a good job, like you excelled. <laughs> so right. yeah, yeah. So that was always very stressful, but I never realized it. And I always ended up just not really, it was always just like, I know this. Okay, let me do it. So it wasn't high stakes to me, but it was pretty high stakes. <laughs> so yeah. And um, on a normal day when nowadays in like middle school, if I were to take a test that like, um, it changed the my final grade for the quarter into like a A plus to an A. And that's happened to me before. And I haven't done, I haven't done well on those past tests. So what I would normally do on these days is I would study because I, again, I love to be prepared. <laughs> so I would study and make sure I know all my stuff. And then I would just relax the whole entire day. Do maybe listen to music on the car ride before school or because music, I mean, I can do a whole nother episode on that, but music, man, it just, it just, it hits me different. It just, it makes me have a feeling that it just makes me totally relaxed. And since I am the younger sibling, um, I'd like to say that I got that from my brother. So that's definitely something that passed on through the siblings. <laughs> but yeah, and I would normally play softball, basketball, maybe go on a long run or something like that. And I, I would just do something that I liked for the rest of the day. But do you, did you have something that um, you did specifically to make you kind of de-stress? From testing, mm -hmm. it's it's taken half my life to figure out how to de-stress. <laughs> I was a uh, high-stress person for a long time, um, and but I have learned that exercise is very important. Uh, music is important to me as well, and um, I play the piano, so sometimes I'll sit down and play the piano. Um, I like artwork as well, and so sometimes I'll sit down and do something with that. Um, I like to put together puzzles. I like um, reading, uh, watching some older movies or just movies that have good storylines to them once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, and, and a lot of for me that I've learned to do is some, do some really good self-talk because I realized that I can work myself into a panic over something and it's really my thoughts and you know my feelings and uh 
it it takes me in places I don't that aren't going to be healthy. And so I have to stop some of those thoughts and think, okay, it's really going to be okay. This too shall pass. Um, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, you know, and, and really try to put everything in perspective, because if you blow things out of perspective, then everything just seems huge and overwhelming and big. And then, you know, the day later after your crisis is over, it's like, well, that okay, you know, now what am I going to worry about? Um, so, yeah, I think learning self-talk and learning what brings you relaxation, like music for you, you know, that's wonderful, or or sports or running or just something that puts your mind in a different place and keeps things in perspective and realize in the scope of life, this test doesn't is not even a drop of water, you know. So something my brother told me is um if it doesn't matter in five years, say something really embarrassing happened to you at school. If it doesn't matter in five years and it won't affect you in five years, don't worry about it. Just shake it off. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Sounds like you have a really great big brother. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely something I've tried to carry on. And um, this kind of, it doesn't really apply to tests, but it, it can apply to tests but it more applies to me in like tryouts, auditions, maybe like a trumpet audition or something along those lines. Um, and, and the spelling bee actually, the spelling bee. But another thing that me and my family believe is the, the reason I lost that spelling bee is because I went into it pretty cocky. So I thought, it's okay, it's gonna be easy. I don't have too much competition. And I, we left the house kind of having a fight. Like it was, um, I can't remember exactly what the fight's about, but I just know that it wasn't a great situation to leave for an auspicious event with. So that's one of the things that we believe. And I, I can't imagine I'm saying this, but I was sitting in the back room after I just spelled treason, T-R-E-A-S-O-N wrong. Cause I can't, I can't imagine I did that, but I put it together in my head, treason. And I was like, no, what if it's tree sun, like a tree and a sun. <laughs> so, so that was kind of my thought process. But then I sat backstage and I was, I hope nobody else gets a question right. Please, <laughs> please, God, please. And I was genuinely <laughs> praying. I was genuinely praying. So I definitely believe in like karma. Um, if I do something, if I say I get in a fight with my mom, I'm going to stub my toe later. And it's definitely like, um, if I think of something and I like consciously do it, then something else will happen. So again, I like to be prepared. I've said that three times, but I like to be prepared. And when I go into a tryout, I like to just the one hour and 30 minutes before the tryout, I like to plan it out. I'm gonna take a shower for 30 minutes. I'm going to, um, practice my trumpet for 10 minutes so I don't get my mouth sore. And I take into account all the tiny details so that when it comes to tryout time, I'm like, okay, this is what I have to do. I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna be fine. Nothing's gonna happen. And I've also come to understand that that's not always how things work. And I also have to take into account like my parents and 
my family situation, what's happening today, do I have anything else to do? And I also have to leave with my family being happy and um, my parents being like completely, we're all happy, we're all leaving in the same situation. And I've made sure not to repeat history with the spelling bee. So I'm always going into there thinking, I am the best one there so that I'm confident, but I'm still like, I'm still like not gonna go there and be overconfident. So there's a fine line for me between overconfident and confident. But when I think of confident, I'm the best one there. I'm not gonna show it. I'm just gonna do what I do best and be the best one there. Mm. So that's kind of my mindset going into that. And um, going along with like the friends, the popularity theme, I've kind of thrown that at the gate somewhere. So when it comes to testing, when it comes to auditions, I'm not there to like make friends. I'm not there to come talk to you. No, I'm gonna do my business, get out of there <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely my mindset. And um, in class the other day, you said something about tea. Could you kind of just elaborate on why you um, like tea so much? Yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid it's gonna, I'm afraid it's not gonna be a really interesting story. <clears throat> but first of all, coffee makes me sick to my stomach. Oh yeah, totally. I used, to, I used to drink it when I was in college when I was really desperate because I had to stay up to finish a paper or something. Um, but as time went on, the acid in coffee just really is not good for my stomach. It makes me really sick. So that's one of the reasons. But tea has just, there's something about different types of tea and the history of tea, uh, tea parties, um, drinking tea with friends. Um, you know, I've gone to like tea shops and had high tea. Uh, there's just something really soothing and soothing. Like I can take a deep breath right now thinking about tea. Um, and I think, you know, that there are different, different types that have herbs and things in it that are just really healthy for your body and, and for your mind. Uh, so it just has a lot of connotations. There's a good English word for you. A lot of connotations for me of warmth and joy and peace and friendship and fun and just kind of a stabilizer in life when life is kind of crazy and you know out of control sitting down and drinking a cup of tea just kind of brings everything into focus for a moment and gives you a deep breath and uh so yeah i i just love it i feel like that's the same because for you like um tea brings like a feeling for you like soothing calming for me i feel like that's not the same feeling but music brings me a feeling and I feel mm. like we kind of have a correlation in that sense. But I recently got into tea and like juice and like drinking, like drinks. And um, I have not, I have not touched coffee <laughs> a lot. Like I maybe took a sip or two in my life because my parents as a kid, um, both of my parents are, they're not tall, tall. They're um, like five one, five two that, um, oh no, five, one, five, six, sorry, five, one, five, six. <laughs> but um, since me and my brother have a goal of being tall, my parents have always like kind of pushed coffee 
onto their side of the room, not our side. So, and apparently coffee like stunts your growth or something. So I've kind of kept my hands off it, but I've recently gotten into tea because, and juice because my mom makes it a lot because it's natural. And mm-hmm. I'm just really into stuff that's natural. Like my mom even said it, but she likes like makeup and she thinks that that's what you need to like, not necessarily put on your face, but to make you beautiful. But like, um, you need that in society. Like you need to be presentable in society for people to respect you. And I do believe that's true in a sense, but I don't think you need to wear makeup to do that. You just need to present yourself decent. And mm-hmm. um, I don't, I also don't like makeup cause it's just not natural. Cause if you had, if you had like a, even face masks, like if you, if my mom made something natural with like yogurt, maybe orange peels and like honey, I would put that in my face gladly. But if it's like a manufactured face mask that I do with my friends, I'll maybe put it on for two minutes just for the fun of opening the package and that like fresh (laughs) But I'll take it soon. Yeah. So that's definitely my vision on it. And tea, man, I mean, I have a glass of orange juice right next to me, but I've (laughs) really got into like um, juices. It just gives you a feeling when you drink it and you feel like fresh from the inside out. So I feel like that's another reason why I just, I just love like natural stuff. Mm. And um, sorry, last thing, <laughs> I just keep going on. But um, recently a lot of people, um, so we came into a house where it was a new neighborhood and there were trees everywhere. So you can just imagine how cool that would be because it's basically a forest in my backyard. And it's just um, a little cutout lawn for us to just, be ourselves and then but beyond that is just rabbits animals and stuff like that but it was kind of sad to see that the trees on the outside near our house near our side they all got cut down and I didn't think I would ever feel that sad because for like an inanimate object because I was like wow that just happened like I genuinely thought I was like gonna live like that forever like that scenario is just beautiful right there but now there's gonna be a big chunky house right next to us (laughs) so that was it was it was just kind of breathtaking to think of that because I'd never thought I'd feel that close to something that far away from me Mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess that's it for this episode of Stay Sane. Thank you for watching. Aimed at my heart to try to break it, but it ricochets. She was trying to play a player, girl, is you and